I've got my notes, my Bible. I think you can hear me. And my fly is up, so we're probably good to, to get going. <laughs> and <laughs> you, you might not recognize me in a pair of long pants, but it is Matt here. And we're going to be going through Luke chapter 15. So if you're all able to turn there in your Bible, or if you like, it will be up on the screen when we get there. But before I get going in earnest, I'd just like to open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you this morning and we're just so grateful for the gift of life and your mercies anew with this day. And thank you for the privilege to share your word and I pray that you'd open our eyes and hearts and that your word would find fertile ground, Lord. And I pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Cool. So... As I said, we're going to be jumping into Luke chapter 15, and we'll start off at verse 1. And it goes, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And this verse sets up the whole chapter. And we see there's two groups of people. On the one side, there's tax collectors and sinners, these turncoat Traitors who work for the Roman Empire and, and take the Jews' money and sometimes extort a little bit extra and hand it over to the Roman Empire. And then these sinners who are blatantly active in their sinful actions and everyone can see it. And then on the other side there's Pharisees and scribes, these religious elites. And the scribes and Pharisees just can't imagine why anyone who claims to be a believer or religious in any way would want to fraternized with sinners and tax collectors, why they'd spend time with them. In their mind, this would be compromising or treating sin lightly and not being rigorous in holiness. So they complain and grumble. And the rest of the chapter is Jesus' response to this grumbling and complaint. And he tells three parables and goes into a lot of depth in his response. But a similar thing has happened before. In Luke chapter 5, verse 30, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? But Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And Jesus is just like, You guys don't get it, do you? It's not like a doctor loves sickness or illness, but he's there because he wants to see people's lives changed. He wants to see people who are sick be made right. He wants to be sinners come to righteousness. How can you not see that, you tax collectors and scribes? But here Jesus gives a different answer. And he starts off with the first parable being of a shepherd. He's got a hundred sheep and one goes missing. And he leaves the ninety-nine and goes hunting for this one sheep. And eventually he finds it. And after finding it, he returns home and rejoices and celebrates with his friends and neighbors. And whenever I think of a joyous celebration, I'm just super grateful that my parents called me Matthew Ray and not Hugh Ray, because I think I'd get a lot of friendly jeering. <laughs> but Jesus extends the celebration, and he says in Luke chapter 15, verse 5, And when he found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. But more so than that, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And he's saying, can't you see it, guys? When I'm sitting with the tax collectors and the sinners, this is what I'm doing. 
I'm not compromising. I'm searching for lost souls. I'm searching for people to bring into the fold. Already the Pharisees and scribes would have been shuffling and feeling slightly awkward and seeing that their hearts were at odds to God, that they'd missed his heart. And then the second parable goes on to tell a pretty similar story. There's this lady who's got ten coins, and she ends up losing one. We've all been there. And she cleans the whole house, diligently searching under every carpet and chair. And when she finds it, she celebrates and brings friends and family around to partake in the celebration. And again, Jesus likens this to the angels in heaven rejoicing. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So it would have been extremely clear to the Pharisees and scribes that the second story told that God's heart is for the sinners to become saints. How can you not see it, guys? It's pretty clear. And he could have left it there. But he goes on again to tell another story. And this is the third parable, the parable of the prodigal son, where he tells a similar story, but in a slightly different way, again. So if you can, just turn to Luke chapter 15, verse 11, and we will read through the passage for today. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to his, came to his senses, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but here I am perishing with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And that's the end of the first part of this parable. And as I've said, it's quite similar to the other stories. There was something that was lost and far off that was found, and there was this great celebration. So there's the son who's a part of a loving family. He's got a father who loves and cares for him. But he's just not satisfied there. He, he doesn't find that he's enjoying his life much there. He doesn't enjoy his time with his father, but he enjoys the things his father has. So he decides that, actually, why don't I just, in a way, wishing my father were dead, ask for my inheritance now so I can have everything at my dispense and make my own decisions and choices and live life as I see fit. He'd much rather have his father's things than his father. So he asks, his father gives it to him, 
and he gets it. And he goes off living life on his own terms, living this life of extravagance. And we, we know how it ends. It doesn't end well for him, does it? He ends up in this far-off land as a foreigner, destitute and in despair at his wit's end. And it's here that he comes to his senses and remembers what a loving father he had and how much better life was there. And he starts yearning to be with the father once again. And he builds up this elaborate plan to go back and he thinks, Flip, even if I could just work for my father, that would be so much better than what I'm doing now. So he makes... Yeah, he resolves himself to it and he heads off on this journey back to his father. And from a long way off, running over the hill, comes this ungainly sight of his father, so excited, so happy to see him, elated at the return of his prodigal son. And he just showers love, grace and mercy upon him before he can even finish his apology and finish his planned speech. And he brings him in, gets the servants to put the best robe on him, kills the fattened calf, and they have this amazing celebration. And it's just such a beautiful picture of God's love for us. We've all been in that far-off place as a result of our desire to to live life as we see fit. And you can imagine how the Pharisees are feeling now. Pretty riled up. (laughs) And Jesus is saying, this is what I'm doing when I spend time with sinners and tax collectors. My heart is to see the lost come home. And Jesus could have ended it here. He could have ended the parable here with it being claimed to see that the, the, the Pharisees were in the wrong and that their hearts were not in a good place. Or he could have used some of the phrases he's used in the past. You whitewashed tombs, you brood of vipers, you blind leading the blind. And it would have been fitting for him to say that. But instead, he gives a tender, compassionate word, extending grace towards the older brother types, to the religious hypocrites, to those of us caught up in trying to earn our salvation. So whether you're the younger son, and you felt like you're far off, or you are far off, know that the father loves you and is looking for you. But if you're also the older son, just know that there's some encouragement for you coming now. So let's finish the parable. Now his oldest son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your commands. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, returns, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you've always been with me. You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and has been found. And the story just ends there. On this precipice, we never find out whether the older brother comes in to the celebration or if he ignores his father's plea and carries on staying outside. Jesus is essentially leaving the ball in the Pharisees' court or in our court. How are you going to respond? And the son's response in the parable reveals a lot about his heart and his relationship with the Father. I don't know if you guys saw it in there, but 
that doesn't feel like a normal relationship between a father and a son, does it? He's out there angry and fed up that his brother has returned. If he truly loved his father, he would have come in and really rejoiced in his brother returning. But instead, he's out there angry and fed up with his arms crossed on the porch. And then there's this, this language that's in there. You think you can see it there. I've always been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. What does that say about their relationship? This isn't a father-son relationship. He's got such a distorted way of relating to his father. He sees it as a slave and master relationship. Right? I've been slaving for you. I've been following your commandments. No wonder the son was so angry when the prodigal son returned. Right? Because I've been here slaving. I've earned my right to be here. And you've been out there spending the father's money and you've done nothing right and you come back and you're treated like this? That isn't fair. And that's the issue with this way of relating to God. It instinctively makes you feel entitled to all the things that he gives us. And it makes you think that sinners don't deserve it. Right? And you grow in disdain and distaste for them. And I, yeah, it's challenging. And I think I've often read this parable and felt a bit of empathy for the older brother. Like his anger is justified. And that's just scary. It's a good litmus test of our hearts. If when we see sin, we are brought to a place of anger and disgust, or if we're brought to a place of compassion or mercy. Guys, we really need to look inside our hearts and see where we're at. How do we feel when we see sinners? Have we distanced ourselves from the goodness of the Father by our perceived good works? Have we put ourselves on the porch of merit and are we missing out on this joyous celebration of the lost being found? So now we're going to move on to the Father's response seen at the end of the chapter. And it's another beautiful display of mercy and grace. I think the father would have been in his right to send his younger brother, or younger son rather, or a slave to God and call this obstinate son of his and just tell him to get inside. What are you doing? But instead he, he walks out. He goes out to the father, to his son. <laughs> and he goes in a calm, peaceful, merciful way and he entreats him and he pleads with him. And he says, please, please come in. And he, he would have been in his right, as I've said, to come out and order him to come back inside. But in this moment, it isn't what the son needs. Because he doesn't need performance in that moment. He just needs a new relationship with his father. And having been ordered in, I don't think that would have achieved what the father was after. Because that's all the son knows, is following orders and slaving. But in this plea, he sees his father's heart for him. And then the father calls him son, my boy. And I'm sure all these memories of a life spent with this young, young chap comes to his mind and he's probably on the brink of tears. And he reminds him of all the privileges that comes with sonship. Right? The father's inviting him back in as a son to lay down the mantle of slaving away and reinstating his love for him. And he reminds him that, look, you've always been with me. And that's the most concerning and heartbreaking thing, is this brother has lived his whole life with his father and has just found it quite dissatisfying. Right? 
Here he is, spent all this time with his father, and his son returns, his brother returns, and it just shows his heart that he wasn't satisfied with that, that in fact all he wanted was a goat from his father to go celebrate with his friends. He wasn't happy with his father. He wanted something else. And it was exposed in this moment. This unhappiness was revealed with the return of his brother. And, and this is where the parable ends. Jesus talking to the Pharisees and saying, you guys are out there. You're on the porch of hard-earned merit. Are you willing to come in? I came here not to be served, but to serve and ransom the lost. I don't need your service. And in fact, if you want to be servants and stay as slaves, there's no inheritance for you. Or you can come inside and take a seat at the table of mercy and be a son and receive the inheritance that I have for you. This beautiful inheritance. And it's, it's scary to see that there's two ways to find yourself fully separated from God. You can either go off seeking to, to serve your own interests in extravagant sin and live life like that. Or you can seek to attain righteousness through hard works. And both ways end with you separated from God. But just know that God's heart is not only for the sinner in a far-off land, but it's also for the hypocrite. And he wants you inside just as much as he wants the sinners inside. So Heavenly Father, we, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your gentle word to us religious hypocrites, Father. Thank you that your heart isn't only for the sinner in a far-off land, but for the person who's been slaving away, trying to earn righteousness to get your things, Father. So we come before you and ask that you would highlight any areas in our lives where maybe we are trying to earn righteousness, Father, and we've been slaving away. And we just, we put that all aside and we walk in as sons and daughters, not as slaves, Father. And we take up all the goodness that you have for us, all the love that you have for us as a loving and caring Father, full of grace and mercy. We pray these things in your mighty name. Amen.